The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Thanksgiving week. We hope y'all have the best Thanksgiving week ever. Happy Thanksgiving week ever. <laughs> this episode, I am bringing back... Oh, Sunny's helping me. I'm bringing back one of my favorite episodes, Nicole Galleon. You want to say hi? In case you... It's an episode. In case you missed it, this is Nicole Galleon. Okay, Nicole Galleon, she just released a new album called Firstborn. It's amazing. So check it out and have an amazing holiday. Say bye. Amazing holiday. Bye. Nicole Galleon. 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 It's Galleon. Galleon. But it's Galleon. A lot of times it's it's mostly mispronounced as Galen. Galen. And then now we've taken it one step further and called it Gay Lion. Gay Lion. Cool Gay Lion. Love that. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> so all sorts of things. And is Clausen at the end of your name too? Yeah, I mean, I'm... You're married to I have like I have like a Id- name identity crisis mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm Galleon by day and Clausen by night. Ooh, it's like, who said that? Uh, <laughs> something in the streets and a freak in the bed? A little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Classy in the streets and a freak in the bed. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, so Clausen at night. Yes. We don't have to go into that part no. unless you want to. No, thanks. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about that. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're here at your beautiful house, and it's awesome. You just washed these ble- these uh, pillows. You did a great job. Yep, they're a little bleach. will change your life. Love some bleach. Let's talk about, oh my God, I don't even know where to start with you. 
<laughs> like I was stalking you hard because obviously um, that's my job. And I don't even know if there's anything left for you to do in your life. Oh, there's so much left to do always. But I'm just going to run through this list and then we're going to break some things down. You like a few years ago, were on the voice. You made it to like the finals. No, I, I didn't make it very far, but I did no, make it to the show, which is the fact that you made it. Maren Morris just did a whole YouTube thing where she tried out for The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent. She didn't make any of them. I mean, you made it to the finals. That's a or to the battle round or whatever, That's right? So confusing to me. But I mean, look at you. You know. Okay, so you did The Voice. You made your Grand Old Opry debut. You have won Song of the Year at the ACMs twice now. One with Miranda Lambert for Automatic and just recently Tequila, Dan and Shay. Uh, you got a triple play award, which means you got three number ones in one year. Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, I mean, I'm missing some things. I know I'm missing some stuff. What else am I missing? Tell me your accomplishments. There's some other stuff. Well, in there. I, I would say my greatest accomplishments are Charlie and Ford. I was gonna get your. Kids. I was gonna get your family. <laughs> and then on top of it, you have two beautiful children, a great marriage, and the most fierce girl tribe ever that you're like so committed to, and you're friends with all the who's who in Nashville, like the biggest artists and everyone on top of it. Like, what is left for Nicole Gallion? So much. I mean, I I feel like I'm. I feel like the world is my oyster right now, and really, it's. Um, it just feels like one big playground of just like, what do I, what do I want to go do and, and enjoy doing? And, and I think that's been, that's been a big shift for me in the last few years is like making my life less about achieving and more about just being curious and, and going like, what am I, what have I not experienced yet? What is something that kind of scares me? What are the things that, you know, that I, I, I'm really looking to expand my territory right now and, and do things that, um, that scare me a little bit. Do you feel a sense of freedom and fearlessness right now? I do. I do. I mean, I'm always, I'm always afraid. You are? I'm always afraid. How of do you things. walk through that fear? Cause um, I feel like a lot of people don't do things because they're afraid. No, I actually like, I actually think that fear is so connected to our nervous system in a way that it tells us, Oh, Oh, that's something that's scary but I always feel like I have more courage than I do fear. Like I'm never, I think people that are pretending to be fearless, I think people that say they're fearless are just really pretending. And maybe what they mean to say is like, I have a lot that I'm afraid of, but I'm committed to being more brave than I am afraid. And that's usually how I feel every day. Some days I wake up and I'm just like, how am I gonna do all this today? What makes you afraid? Um, I think, um, gosh, where would I, where would I even start? Um, hmm. I'm afraid to, to not be able to fit everything in my life in that I want to do. Like, I feel like, I feel like I could have 14 lifetimes and do it 14 different ways and love all of them. And some days I feel like I'm trying to cram 14 days into one day because there's so many parts of me that I want to take care of and nurture and love and invest in. I want to be with my kids all day long, but I also want to really push myself in my career and I want to be with my husband and take trips and I want to, you know, nest a little bit more and be at my house more than I am. I just want, I love all of it. And, and I think I got 
a, a giant zest for life from my mom where it's just like every day is a new day and maximize every minute that you get. And, and sometimes like that's my blessing, but it's also a little bit of my curse because there's really only one me. But the thing that is so amazing about you, which a lot of people don't have this all together like you do, is you actually love every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people have really incredible pieces of their life like chunks of it are Mm. great and not that not everyone's not blessed and amazing and everyone's on their own journey but to me you are sort of this unicorn because you have all the different lanes of your life very fulfilled it seems and thriving like it feels to me like you have your family's thriving and I know like it's the balance is hard but your family's thriving your career's thriving your friends are thriving your everything's thriving there's not like this one sore thumb part you know Mm -hmm. because some people don't have all of it like that well I think for me it's about perspective because what people don't see is the failures that are happening and the sacrifice that comes with maybe sometimes not being with my kids or just the dirty parts of um being a mom or being in the music business and and those things are fully there I just have a personality that like I just kind of look past all that to the positive stuff and I think um I've always, I think it took me a really long time to start to have success as a songwriter and so in all of those building years I learned to really be able to get by on a lot for a long time on just a little crumb of some of hope yeah of something like you always know that this would be your destiny though no and I'm not that person that I didn't come here to be a songwriter I didn't come here to sing I'm what brought you here I wanted to work on the business side of the music business I wanted to work for record label or um be a manager or being an agent or something I'd never written and so songwriting is actually my plan b (laughs) oh my gosh um and so I don't really relate to so many people in Nashville that say, you know, I came here to do this and I have no plan B. I'm like, I'm already on plan B and, you know, maybe I'll do plan A someday or maybe, you know, C, D. I mean, going on The Voice was plan C, trying to be an artist was plan D. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I've done, I've always, I've always felt like my identity isn't completely wrapped up in, in what it is I'm doing. I just know that my career or whatever role I'm in at that moment is really just preparing me for something else. And when I look back, you can, I can see a pattern of, Oh, I was a personal assistant for a booking agent for four years. I see how that got me ready for this. And then I, it took me a long time to be a songwriter. So then I tried to be an artist and that didn't happen. And that prepared me for this. And then I did the voice and it all. And so now because I have lived long enough to be able to look back and see that pattern of how, Everything really has prepared me for something else. Now I just live in a place of peace of, I'm not really worried if what I'm working on is successful or not because it's ultimately gonna prepare me and propel me into the next thing. And that's truly, I think, where my creative freedom comes from. It's like, I can strike out a million times in a row, but I'm in the game. And I think just embracing that has been, um, I speak in metaphor a lot. Everybody's (laughs) like, oh my God, just, you know, um, but that is really how I process my life. So do you, did you just, what were you following that led you to like, what guides you if you weren't planning on any of these amazing things happening 
and now they've all happened like how did you get there i think curiosity okay um i met a few songwriters like the first year i lived in nashville and just organically looked up and was surrounded by a lot of songwriters and was sitting in people's living rooms having when they were having guitar poles and i almost had this like blind it's almost kind of like a dumb ego like in the back of my mind i just thought i i can do that and i never written a song um but you played piano but i played i grew up playing classical piano so i had the the musical foundation the second that i got that curious itch to go do it i had the tools to be able to go and find a piano and on my own time in the privacy of this little room somewhere really explore that um and i didn't have to wait to get good at an instrument to do that um so that was again other things prepare you for things that you didn't know you know I know I would have never thought when I was taking when I was playing you know Beethoven at 16 that that would turn into you know four chords for Kenny Chesney someday and um and so I just love how the complexity of all that and don't really try to figure everything out while I'm doing it because I just know it all is going to have a purpose eventually where did that knowing come from I think ultimately for me it's a it's a it's it's God and it's divinity and it's did you grow up with a strong faith yeah I grew up um the you know I'm, I'm grew up Christian I'm still a Christian and I was the church pianist at the Methodist Church Stop in Sterling it. Kansas and and you love Sterling I love my hometown and you, yeah like you have y'all like have a second home there right yeah and you love your mama I love I love my whole family I I think the cool thing about where I came from and my family especially is that I was never raised with the illusion of perfection. Even our family is a, a little bit of a blended family. And so I never, even though I grew up in a conservative town, I never grew up feeling like I had to, like perfection and image was not, that was really not on the table because we already weren't perfect. So That's great. So that was never even like, you never even had that pressure. No, and I think sometimes people like, I think people always say to me, they're like, oh my gosh, you you always look like, I mean, you've already said, oh, you look like you have it all together. Or what, and I'm just what like. What if you read your resume and look at you from like a 30,000 view, it's like, dang, you are killing it. But I think it's just because I am okay with failing. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm just like, okay, next. What's next? I, you know, I, I, You're not I, too hung up on anything? I just don't think people remember we we remember what we fail at more than anybody. Um, That's I could true. That's like, like Oprah would say an yeah. aha moment. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, like the longest whatever this list or this resume that might look impressive um, is. I guarantee the one that with all the misses and all the heartbreaks is so much longer. But the world isn't seeing that or they just quickly forget it and they get really excited about the things that are working. And so I, I try to remind myself of that, you know, just like, nah, okay. Like, yeah, you know, in baseball, it's like batting averages like are not a great batting average is still not that great. Yeah. You know, in the big scheme of things. And if you applied that to the music business of how many songs you have to write that never see the light of day. I mean, I just found out two days ago that a song I thought was going to be a big single, no one really told me. I just kind of found out in a backwards way that, oh, it's not a single anymore, you know? And and is that disappointing? Even after, we were kind of talking about this, even after you've had so much success and you are on fire, you still have 
disappointments. Oh, yes. It's, yeah. I remember Rodney said one time that, um, he's For everyone like, listening, Rodney is your husband, who's a huge hit songwriter also. Yeah. So y'all are writing all the songs for Nashville. Way more success than me, by the way. It's, it's really interesting. Um, he has 24 number ones and oh my gosh. Um, but he is, yeah, he's incredible. Um, not only who are y'all i don't know we're just winging it to be honest we're just winging it but it's so down to earth both of you guys which is amazing no i don't i don't know we're not that bougie we're just i think we're creatures of comfort and and we really um we really feel rooted okay. to like to where we came from and um and so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. We're both just small town people at heart and we love where we came from. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, okay, so but I remember, Rod- but Rodney said, he said, you know, just cause you're in the Super Bowl doesn't mean it, it doesn't hurt when you get hit. It still hurts to get hit. And, and I feel, I feel that more than ever right now. Like, you know, the more that you're in the center of the game, yes, the successes may seem bigger, but also the disappointments are bigger as well. And you're they're they're more frequent. Mm-hmm. You know, I might be getting more awesome phone calls right now, but I also that I'm also getting more. Well, this isn't this isn't going to happen. Phone calls and um, and so I really I really try hard to just keep my head my head straight um, because. If I let myself be at the mercy of those conditions, I, no one would survive. I don't think anybody would come out the other side of this business healthy if they were really at the mercy of things working out all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love being in the game. I think I grew up playing sports, and I just I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be in the game, even if that means that you don't win. Sometimes it's it's still awesome. I'd rather be doing that than not. You know, I'm just not a sidelines person. Yeah. Yeah. So before all this happened, what, what was, what was, what were like, what motivated you? What has motivated you since you were a kid? What has, Mm. what has, what has gotten you to this place of trust and rolling with it and being okay with failure like what motivated you what maybe like held you back and what motivated you and then how has it all worked together Hmm. well I would say that like if you go back in the early years to like younger Nicole like in the way I was raised what has worked for me has has just been work ethic Um, does that come from your family yeah my family it's it's very deeply rooted in my family um my dad and his brothers have a concrete company and um and there was just no there was just no sitting down mm-hmm. you know and no waiting no one and you know no one was handing anybody anything and um so you know it makes sense that I would write like a, be a part of a song called automatic because that truly is like the way I was raised so I had that going for me but also um not um I I would say like what held me back is I think growing up I was always very independent and um wanted I wanted to be in control of myself mm-hmm. and I think as a young as a young girl sometimes that can be perceived as bossy yeah. or too much okay and so I think as I in an effort to remain grounded at all times I think sometimes I I was like don't be too much 
like don't want for that or don't want okay. to win too much and don't maybe appear to be too competitive or too this or too that. And I think now what I would tell my younger self is like, like that was in you when you were four or five years old. That was, that was pure. That wasn't an ugly thing about you. Like you wanting to win a board game. That's just the way you, that was the way you were wired. There should be no darkness or shame attached to that. And so now I've really, you said the word freedom earlier. I feel a freedom in, in not apologizing for being too much or wanting too much or, you know, being too happy when something happens or too sad when something doesn't happen. I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm really not going to be small in any way. When did you have that revelation of I'm not going to be small? Um, Cause I feel like a lot of women do struggle with that. Um, I think probably, you know, I went to onsite, which a lot of people have probably talked about if they've been on this before. Um, probably onsite was a big, um, was that's a, like just a great, it's like a healing therapy, like, but down to the core center. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just about finding who you really are. At, at, yeah. Your, your innermost self. And, um, and I really did fall back in love with the, the five-year-old that just wanted to win a game of trouble, you know, against her parents. There was nothing bad about that. So I'm, when I'm in a room now, maybe we're talking about what I'm going to get paid or what I'm worth in a situation. I, I don't feel shame for asking for more oh, because I've, gosh, because I've awesome. worked, I've worked through that. What, you know, and I do think one of the things you asked, like what has held me back? I think some as, um, my faith in God has never changed, but I will say some of Christian culture, um, had told me to kind of suppress, don't get too big. Don't make it too much about you. And I have found as I've gotten older that the more I lean in, like if God made me, the more, which he did, and God is in me, which it says in the Bible, the more that I become authentically myself, I feel more and more in tune with God than ever. And I think I grew up thinking, well, it's not about you. Take yourself out of it. Take your feelings out of it. And now I'm just feeling so much more free flow. Like, well, God made me. going through you. Yes, God made me to feel excited about this or to put this desire on my heart. Like I'm not going to suppress this stuff anymore, you know? So that's been, that's been really exciting to just feel like I don't have to filter what I feel or what hurts my feelings or what I want for in life. And, and that's been, I'm hoping that I can figure that out as soon as possible. And, you know, hopefully I figure that out early enough to be a good example for my daughter for that, you know? Especially because the world definitely tells all of us, not just women, but, oh, you're a little too much. You're a little too this or a little too that or a little too sensitive or a little too powerful. And um, I just don't believe that anymore. I don't know. It's like the veil's been lifted. I don't know what happened. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So talk to me about raising a daughter, being the Mm -hmm. way that you are. Coming from you know, like a, like you said, a Christian background that you obviously still have, but have found your own way. How and you're also doing all these things, career woman, but also value family. I mean, you kind of have it all going on. How do you raise your daughter? Mm. Well, I think the best thing that I have to offer my daughter is just my story. I'm not going to project what I want for her on her. And um, I really want her story to be hers. Um, But I really feel like I want to be honest and transparent with her about the good, bad, and ugly about my life so that she doesn't feel like she has to grow up overcoming some illusion. Mm -hmm. Because I see that a lot. And I see it a lot in women like, well, I just thought my parents had the perfect marriage. And then I got married and marriage was hard and I panicked, but then it wasn't until I was 40 that I had a real conversation with my mom and she told me, no, your dad and I have always had these troubles. We just had them behind closed doors and I don't want, I want my kids to see our marriage for what it is. I want them to see me for what I am. And, and that's going to be uncomfortable at times. I'm just going to have to be honest about like, this is, you know, this, I suck at this you know, or I failed at this or I failed you at this. And have you had to say that? Like I failed you at this. I mean, or I like apologize for something. Oh my gosh. We apologize. I apologize to my kids all the time. Um, and but that's showing that it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I think of my children more as just fellow humans and less as, um, less as I'm a superior and there I'm like, come on, let's go. We're like, come with me, let's go live our lives is less than like, I'm going to, you know, just 
coddle you and cradle you and and nurture you and i try to you know i try to do those things too but that's not my main gear as a naturally as a mother it's more to lead my family than it is to you know when i grew up imagining being a mom i imagined myself in an suv with older kids and we were talking about life and we were going to play games and we talked about what what we learned from that game and that was what I envisioned parenthood as I didn't envision myself as I just never had those daydreams of sitting in a in a rocking chair just like rocking a baby and I loved those years but I more like when they were little people with yeah I I think the way I'm wired was more like I want I want people yeah I want a little tribe of people and we're gonna go do life together um So I guess that's a little insight to how I parent, I guess. I feel you. I'm not, obviously I'm pregnant, but the baby phase, I've never, I've never been like, oh, I can't wait to have a baby. I mean, I cannot Mm. wait to have a child, but I'm more looking forward to when they come in to their, their selves. Mm -hmm. Well, and I appreciate my friends. I've had a few friends that have just, they've been so bold and brave to say, I loved my children, but I didn't like those first few years. They're hard. They are hard and they're a lot of work and, um, and I just, I just love anybody that will just tell the truth, whether no matter what, you know, no matter what crowd they're in, they'll just say, oh, I, that wasn't me, you know? Yeah. And I love that. What have your kids taught you? Ugh. About life and yourself. Mm. Well, the thing about kids is you see, you see a lot of you learn really quickly the things you don't like about you because they're repeating it because you see that you they're the things that drive you the most crazy about them okay i mean i got it yeah i mean my son who's a wild child and like doesn't present at all like me on the outside he actually feels like the most unrefined version of who i probably am on the inside and what is that like won't quit till she gets what she wants. He won't quit till he gets what he wants. Very has four or five or 47 things going on. Mental processes at one time. That's how I am on the inside. Um, very impatient. Um, and it's cool because I guess the paradox of the whole thing is if you don't love yourself, it's really hard to love those things about them. And yeah. so the best thing I can do for my kids is to truly embrace the every part of me good bad and ugly because they're gonna I gave some of those pieces to them you know and so I've had I've I've had a moment several moments where I literally am like it's me and Ford and I'm like quit being so impatient (laughs) and I'm like losing my patience as I say it and he's like no and we're like and I'm like oh my gosh we are this ironic yes exactly (laughs) or I'm biting my nails I'm like quit biting your nails you know (laughs) and so it is it's just humbling and I think one of the coolest byproducts of parenting is that you give your own parents and every parent a massive break yeah I mean it's so cool I Mm -hmm. get it now mom yes and I have some friends that don't have kids and I hear them talk about their parents and a little in a bit of a critical manner and I'm I just want to be like Give him <sighs> let me just tell you, you don't something even know let me just tell you something they're doing the best they they could and even if they weren't I promise you no one loves you more yeah. you know so I mean <clears throat> I remember like just after I gave birth I was like 
if that's all I've, if that's all I ever do for these people, that is the most anyone will ever do for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's is like the birthing experience just insane. Yeah, it was a lot. I I like to be. I felt really trapped in my body when I was pregnant. Uh-huh. I felt really out of control, and it was. It's, it's all a giant para, like a paradox because I felt the most vulnerable I've ever felt, but then also the most empowered. And I think that set a tone for all of motherhood because I do, I feel, I mean, I write with and work with a lot of young, young females who teach me stuff every day. But I also, I also walk in a room a little differently because I know that I'm in charge of a household and, um, and there's a sense of a pure sense of confidence that I wouldn't have had at a younger age had I not, you know, had I not become a mother. Mm-hmm. And so I love it all. I do. I mean, I loved, I loved the years that I wasn't a mother and I love, you know, I love my life now too. Highs and lows in motherhood. Um, I think for me the lows I'll start with the lows um probably the low is just for me is always um wanting to do right by them just worrying I mean we're making a decision about school right now and we have two incredible decisions and I two choices for where our son is going to go to school next year and honestly Rodney's looking at me like you know this is like a tie and these are incredible and I'm looking at it like this is a make or break decision yeah I'm just like I can't I have to do right by him I have to do right by him you know and so those moments of worry how do you find the answer in those moments when it's a tie you don't you just do do the best you can you pick one and then you just don't beat yourself up if you feel like like what how do you like how do you do that because that is a big question I've already dealt with me pregnancy, or, like do like me choices. personally. Yeah. I mean, everybody does it all. There's a trillion different ways to do it. And so everyone, how do you break the tie and live with it? I, I try to sit with it. I try to sit in the discomfort of the situation. Um, something I haven't always been good at. I, it's actually like a trigger for me when to not finish something. So I like want to wrap it up. I want to, I'm very decisive and I want to move forward. I'm very like about the next onto the next and, and almost to a fault. And when I look back at some decisions I've made, I was just trying to get something finished and cross it off my list. Maybe you wish you would have actually waited a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so there's a, I'm, I'm trying more right now, like with a decision, like where my kids are going to go to school to just sit in my nature is to go make the decision, just rip off the bandaid and move on with your life. Totally get that. And I'm now going, okay, just sit in it. Like, it's uncomfortable. Sit in the tension. Sit with the tension of something not being tied up yet. And that's where I am right now. I'm just sitting in it. And every day I kind of, I wouldn't say that I like get on my my knees and pray about it as much as all day long. I just kind of have these like inner dialogues with God of like, okay, just checking in. Like, I'm waiting. Just waiting. I don't know. Clarity? Do you think? I think so. I think. um, What will it come as? Um. It's probably just a combination of head and heart, you know, and just me paying really close attention. Do you look for signs? Um. 
like in this particular situation, I'm really locked in with my son. I'm not looking for like a leaf to fall or something from the tree and like mean something as much as looking for just really zooming in on the person that this decision is going to affect and just trying to feel connected with him as much as possible right now. And then hoping that that will push my heart to like one side or the other. Um, and look, I mean, I think it's, it's an illusion to think that there's a right decision in in a lot of things. You just, you pick one. And that is motherhood, right? Yeah. You pick one and you go with it. And that's ultimately where I could not do a day of parenting without (laughs) God, like without a faith in a creator, a God that made all of this and made me, made me knowing that I would be my kid's parent, Mm -hmm. you know? My mom always used to say she was, and this is such, this is where my mom's amazing. She always used to say, you're not really mine. You're just on loan to me from God. And I think that's really freeing for me to go like, okay, you, I say, oh yeah, my kids are my greatest accomplishment. They're not really an accomplishment. They're, um, they're just a gift that someone has entrusted with to me for a while you know so i just kind of you just kind of put it in your hands and you go i'm gonna try to protect this and take care of this and honor this and cherish this and ultimately at the end of the day i it looks more like okay god they're yours <laughs> like give me a little something here you know to work with because i don't know what i'm doing i mean it really is it's a giant cluster yeah all the time in my in my head and in my heart because they're always they're always about you know they need each other if it was just a head decision, I probably would have already made the decision, the decision. And if it was just a heart decision, I would have already made it. But they're kind of, they're talking to each other and I'm kind of living in that tension right now. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's a low. A high, I think a high is, oh, there's so many. Hmm. I'm such a, I always think in such specifics, but, um, so your Instagram posts are so good. <laughs> You're so good at remembering details. Well, I think that's where, that's where I see the, the, the most beauty is in like the split second moment. Mm-hmm. It's not in like the, it's not in the reading of a chapter. It's more in just this one little phrase of life. And I'm like, Oh, that, um, I think most of the highs for me are when we see each other, like, if I'm with, like, if if I'm with my daughter and she says something to me and she's like, "Oh, because you're really good at you're really good at planning parties. We should go plan a party." You know, I'm like, "Oh, you see, oh, you see me. You know me," because that to me is love and in its own in its own way. And and if I and when I and I see that reciprocated in her too, like when she feels seen it's like this magical thing of like, yeah, we see each other, you know, those, those little moments are like, just they've been watching. They notice y'all are in sync with each other. Well, I think they're, (laughs) I think they're intimate. Like there are things that like people, like when you truly see each other in a way that you only could because you witness your witness to each other's lives behind closed doors. That's, that's like really intimate to me. Cause then, I mean, lots of people know, 
me lots of people know my kids and my husband and stuff but the way we know each other behind closed doors those are like those are like the really special moments so what is it like being married to rodney because he uh, seems like he's the most laid back guy on the earth <laughs> he is he like is country so boy chill. heart but then oozing talent kind of like you though unassuming about it like you would never know he has 23 number ones I think the coolest thing, because I've been asked this before, the coolest thing about our marriage is I feel like we are complete equals. And um, there's nothing... And that's confidence from a man, too. Oh, yeah. He's he's evolved. For for a, an ex-farmer, he's pretty evolved. Um, but, there's, but for a man to be so confident with a powerful mm-hmm. woman, you know, it shows that he's confident in himself. Yeah, I think, um, I think that came with age and experience for him of... You know, I think ultimately we're both attracted to the fact that we don't really, our happiness doesn't, we are not each other's source of happiness. I think we kind of like, we're like in each other's sidecar just being like, hey, what you doing over there? And and that's like really mysterious and attractive. And like you don't suffocate each us. other. No, I mean, we're both really independent. Um, I think if there was any you know, if there was an area that we need actually would need to work on, it would be being more intertwined Mm -hmm. because we're such a, we're such a team, but it's more just like, okay, you do this, I do this, you do this. And we just, and we're so good at it that sometimes we don't even stop and just see each other Mm -hmm. because we're so efficient. Yes. And, um, and I'm proud of that. I'm super proud of the way that we balance our lives and, and our careers and our kids and, and each other and, you know, but I do think sometimes I have moments of like, can we just drop everything and just go away? Just the two of us, because like, I feel like we're just managing life sometimes. And you're in the thick of it. We are. And I, and it's a reality that a lot of the world is in, you mm-hmm. know, of you're in that chapter and it's an, ultimately it's not about us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about, um, it's not just about us, you know, yeah. it's about our whole house and what it is we want to build for a long term. What would you say y'all's long term? If you had like a motto, you know, like um, a statement, what are those things called? Like a mission statement Oh yeah. for your family? Oh gosh. Everything I ultimately think is like so cheesy. It sounds like, some cheese. sounds like an Instagram post or something. <laughs> um, this is so not sexy, but I just want all of us to take responsibility for our happiness. I want my kids to, you know, even at a young age, I can see where they start to, you know, my daughter, her happiness comes from, you know, trying to please somebody else or my son's comes from, you know, trying to finish a thing Mm -hmm. or achieve a, you know, accomplish a task or something. And I just want all of us to be able to look at each other and be like, I see you, you're doing your thing. Like, and, and to not just take, yeah, responsibility for ourselves. But that also involves grace from everybody else because it involves not trying to control someone into being what we think they need to be. Yeah. And I feel like that is sometimes where it can get tricky with the world is because mm-hmm. you want to be yourself, but then all these other forces come in and tell you you need to be something else. So how great to have a household that is nourishing that. I mean, we'll see. I mean... <laughs> You know, my kids are really young. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like we're just shifting and pivoting every day, trying to, it's a long, long conversation, um, metaphorically with them, of just look, reading them and they read you and just 
trying to constantly evolve together. I, I do think evolution, like just evolving, mm -hmm. is the name of the game with all of this of just, you know, your marriage has to evolve, you independently have to evolve because, and your kids are always evolving and really growing alongside each other and, and just working through some of those growing pains together and embracing it. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. How did you meet Rodney and how'd you know he was the one? How'd you know this farmer was the one that was going to sweep your heart away? Well, I, f I, this is, it's funny. This conversation's come up a, f a few times lately. Um, I knew he was the one the first time he went to my hometown with me. Okay. What happened? Well, he just, um, look, I'm, I'm a weirdo. Like from a young age, I knew like from like the age of 10, I knew that I would leave my hometown and nobody loves my hometown more than me, but I knew my, somehow and I think it was on a spiritual level that I knew I would leave and I was I remember having a fear that as a young girl that how how will I ever meet someone if I move away and I go live in a city how will I ever meet somebody that loves where I'm from because I know I'm leaving but they need to love it here for some reason like why I'm thinking that at 10 years old like I should have just been like you know playing with Barbies or something I don't know but I 
it is a reminder that we really do know ourselves young and then we just get lost and we just need to come back to that. But so it makes sense that when I took him home with me to to Sterling for the first time and he jived with my family and he loved where I was from and the people that I loved, loved him. I was like, okay, like I knew I loved him already, but that was like, okay, now this is going to work. I know that this is, this is all going to jive now. And that was when I knew. I, I don't know that I would fully let myself go there in my head because I couldn't imagine someone not, that was such, that was so high on my value system of maintaining a relationship with where I came from that there's no way that I could have married somebody that couldn't at least understand where I came from. Mm-hmm. And not only does he understand it, but he appreciates it. And he, look, be careful what you pray for because he would go and live there tomorrow, I think. <laughs> I mean, we all but have moved there, you know, and, but he's honestly just been so patient with me because he knows I, there's so many things that I want to do in Nashville. So that, he's ready to go move out of town and get out of Nashville? Well, I don't think he's like antsy, but if I said, hey, let's, let's give our kids a small town childhood and let's move to Sterling, he'd be like, okay, cool. Call the realtor. Is so easy breezy? Yeah, he is. He is, but he's also, he has his things. He has, he's real, um. He's real particular. He's he's uh, he's uh, an only child. So he's you know he has his things. He doesn't like to share. <laughs> he doesn't want you to move when he puts something a certain place. And so, so I don't because ultimately <laughs> I care more about him than where he puts his shoes. It is not worth it. No, it's not. That's a he's, big part of marriage. Not picking all the fights. No, that ultimately what I always say in my head is he's more important than that. Yeah, like your relationship and I don't sweep things under the rug necessarily the things it's, that don't matter yeah I'm just like really like what you know what's the ben- cost like cost benefit here and sometimes I tell myself because I'm kind of OCD and anal about stuff well I am and Michael is pretty tidy and clean but like sometimes I have to check myself and I'm like well who decided that my OCD and analness is the one that trumps his <laughs> more laid back approach just because I, like I am the one that's m- more uptight about stuff it means that I win because I'm going to be the one that has things that need to be in an order more than he does like mm-hmm. I don't know why I decided that I was the one that was the winner of that anyway maybe his way is better mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to tell myself that I find that the more that I I give that grace the more I get it back to yeah. and you know trying to I see two two different kinds of people. People that get married and they completely accept the way somebody is. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that get married and in the back of their mind, they're like, okay, well, I'm marrying you based on what I think I can turn you into. Yeah. And it doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. And, um, and so I, 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 I knew who Rodney was when I married him. And, and that's an awesome thing. Cause he is, he truly is like the best partner when it comes to life and family and love and career. And he's just like my, he truly, I get to like rest in his, his chill. And, um, he's kind of like how they say he's like, he's like the one standing on the ground, like holding the string and I'm the kite, you know, because I'm, he kind of, he keeps me grounded and like, is my sound advice you know, and in, in another, in, in most other relationships in my life, I'm kind of that person where I'm like, 
the voice of reason. I'm the steady. And so it's really awesome to be with someone that their role has reversed. And I get to be the wild spirit that, that goes and chases things and gets to beautifully fail, you know, at things because he's so secure that I don't feel like I need to take care of that part. Like I feel so steady with him. So I'm, Look, he's not perfect and I'm not either, but that part is pretty badass. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you did an Instagram post called The Parts I Remember when you won your second song of the year. Oh, yeah. For Tequila, Dan and Shay at the ACMs. Mm-hmm. And what I love about how you express yourself is you express the details. You express the the whole picture. Some of it's a mess. Some of it's like... Like, it's all the things. It's not just like, oh, my God, I won song of the year. Holy shit. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. you walk through all of your feelings. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about, A, how it felt to win song of the year once with Miranda Lambert with Automatic, and then how it feels to win it again. Like, what is that moment like when you have, moment like when you have reached the pinnacle of (laughs) what a song can reach, really? Song of the year is about as much as you can do with a song. I mean, I'm sure there's more things, but like, that's about, that's the holy grail of a song's life. Yeah, it's the, it's the Super Bowl for songwriters. So what does it feel like to be on your way to being Tom Brady of the Super Bowl? Oh gosh, no. (laughs) Wow. You are, you're giving me way too much credit. But to win song of the year Um, two times. How do you process that? I, so the first time that we won was like four or five days after I had had our son. And so I couldn't be there. Was that, did you have FOMO? Um, FOMO would be an under, would be too simple of a way to put it. There were a lot of layers to what I felt, um, because I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I leaned into the idea that this was the story that was written for me. And I love that you can do that and that, in those moments. I mean, I just don't know how to survive. I don't, maybe it's my coping mechanism or when you can't change a thing, you can change your perspective. Ah, and that, yes. so okay, that is, that's another aha. I mean, truly. <laughs> so I, I think that's in my brain where I could change my perspective on it was, okay. So even if this is the, greatest moment you will ever have as a songwriter and you didn't get to experience it in person lean into the fact that that's not an accident and trust that that's okay and with all of that said like that sounds like I handled that beautifully and so gracefully like I I sat there on the couch with still looking five months pregnant like basically wearing a diaper (laughs) while I won song of the year watching it on tv watching it on tv And I was like engorged and like, it was just that, it was that perfect storm of like day four of after you have a kid where the reality, like it's a lot of things collide at one time. Talk about like, uh, the yin and the yang. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. It was like the most, it was the most drastic paradox that I think I've ever felt emotionally. And so I walk, I actually, I actually did a a blog post about it um, on my website called acceptance speech because what's your website? um, Just Nicole Gallion.com with two L's. Yes. N I C O L L E G A L Y O N. And I remember like after the show finished, like I was like on a high because I was crying. I mean, you're crying anyway, but are you by yourself? Rodney was here. The kids were both here. Um, but I mean, there's nowhere to put that. Speaking energy, of really. de- I mean, speaking of details, like 
My friend Landon had literally just left, had brought by all the, like, dinner for our family and gifts, and the kids were, like, or Charlie was, like, rummaging through these gifts. She got a doll, and we, like, we have the scissors, and we're trying to cut the freaking piece of plastic, and so she can get it, and she's one and frustrated and crying, and and then the show starts, and it's, like, on a, like, we're, like, oh, my gosh, we're late. Like, we should go sit in here and watch the show. Like, I was so, like, in a, in, in a cloud that I knew the ACMs were on and knew to DVR them, but I wasn't even in a mindset of us winning so then we win and I'm like wait what that just happened like it just happened and it was over you know it felt like a vapor that was like oh okay gone yeah um and then the text start rolling in and then Charlie I was trying to nurse and Charlie who was just no she yeah she was still one and she tripped and she hit her head on the on the side of the coffee table in the living room and so she's crying and like right as she's crying Miranda and Natalie FaceTime me from backstage and they're like crying and they're like we miss you and da 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 and I'm like trying I don't know if I should be happy yeah Miranda Lambert and you wrote automatic Automatic, yes and so it's all happening and I can't even hear what they're saying because Charlie's right here crying and I'm holding for it and I was just going what is going on what is this but again this is so crazy that I could like this was like written by like a master pen, like quite the author wrote this moment because I would have never dreamed of this. So then, you know, it kind of calmed down. The texts are rolling in. I like have that moment of like, it goes to commercial, like maybe 30 minutes later. And I'm like, Oh wow. You just won song of the year. Holy crap. And then I got really happy, put babies down, go back to get in the bathtub. And I stand in front of the sink well, in front of the the tub and right behind our tub is like a giant wall of a mirror. And I just remember like I took off all my clothes to get in the tub and it's not a pretty thing like four days after you have a kid. And I remember thinking, okay, the show is over. Everybody's at this after party right now. And I'm standing here and I saw myself in those, all this those, you want to cry. all these thoughts combined. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just got so sad. <laughs> this makes me want to cry. It was, look, I, <laughs> look. I was watching Meghan Markle this morning walk out two days after oh, I have a baby, God, and it takes her back. soul. I mean, what a trooper! I know. I don't understand it. I don't know why they do that. But <laughs> no, but it, you're like the greatest thing in your career just happened. You're just giving birth. Your kids. Every, oh God! And it's just how do you even process all those feelings? You your body's not your own still at all. No, you don't. And so I just sat in the bathtub and cried. And that that was where I was. And I couldn't tell why I was crying. I was like, are you crying because of what you just saw in the mirror? Are you crying because it's hormones? Are you crying because of happiness? Like, I was just overflowing in everywhere. Because you're sad because you're not there? Yeah, I was. It was 20 different things at one time. So that was winning the first time. that's an explosion. So then, like, as you leave, so then a day goes by and a month and six months and a year. And the more that we got away from that, the more that it meant and I kind of healed from the sadness of not being there um and you know I started to feel like myself again about a year later and I was like that's pretty badass you got to say you won song of the year and I love what that stands for that I was home with my kids like I wouldn't have planned for it to happen that way but that's where God is so cool is it's like my kids will forever know that I was with them and you know when that happened but what was always haunting me was the experience. It wasn't so much me wanting to win Just song of the year feeling. of like, what does that feel like? That you star. Love feelings. Yes. The experience, like 
that moment when you walk up and you like the mic is the view of like the star is born moment where you get to see the microphone and everyone that you're looking out over everyone that you grew up listening to on the radio. And, and it's your work and your art is being recognized, which is such a, it's such a moment in time that doesn't happen every day. No, I mean, it never happens. It never happens. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, it never happens, but it happened once. So it's definitely not going to happen again. And Just longing to know that feeling. So I think that was... In a way, I think when we won for tequila, like it was beautiful. I didn't expect it. And again, it was so cool because I, I had taken my mom as my date, which I had never done to anything before, like any award show. And How'd so, you decide to take your mom? Well, Rodney had a fishing tournament. So once again, the universe, God. Yes. Th- I never thought I'd say this, but thank God for fishing because that worked out the most perfect way that it could have. I should have been, I was supposed to be sitting there holding my mom's hand. You know, was that the sweetest moment? This woman that has given you yes. so much in your life, and that oh, God, I'm all emotional. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel oh. like tears oh. coming on. Oh, I know. I'm and like trying to, to hold be it, able hold to it experience in. Experience that with her daughter, who y'all are so close, and I don't know. I mean, I can't even imagine how that would feel as a mom to be with your daughter, who you've loved so much, and you've nurtured this beautiful child, and then to see their dreams coming true and get to experience them on that level. I mean, that like makes me weepy. Yeah, I think I definitely... And you to give that to your mom as a gift and to have that moment, and it's just like, ugh. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. I mean, actually just now talking about it, I'm thinking like I was holding my son when I won the first time, and then I was holding my mom's hand when I won the second time, and um, I think that was, again, the way that it was supposed to be. But I do... I. It's a weird thing. I, I thought that I was kind of over not being there for the first time until we won for tequila. What did it feel like when you got, I mean, you get, you've lightning struck you twice. You won song of the year twice. So you get it again. You're getting to experience it. Now, what does it feel like when you it go actually, on stage? Like, it felt like a period on the end of a sentence of like, it was, I think it was, I think it was kind of healing to be honest. I think I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, you were still there was, there still was sadness in you that you didn't get to be there that first time. And that I'm like, okay, I'm good now. Like, I know what that feels like. And when I'm 80, I can close my eyes and imagine what it looked like for what that split like? second. Tell me what it looked like. Tell me the whole step. Cause you, the parts I remember, I love that you broke it down, but like walking up to the stage, speaking in the microphone. Do you, did you black out? Do you know what you said? Like, um, no, I know what I said. And I think I was, I was always prepared. Um, to go last because usually the artist speaks and then they, but Dan was so incredibly gracious and was like, Nicole, you go first, which I was not ready for. So I, I had really been prepared to just say one thing because you just never, I don't want to be that person that's like, and talking in the, <laughs> and then the mic dies and like, you can't they hear him anymore because the music comes in. So I, um, I was ready for that. And, and I'm just, I said what I wanted to say, which was like, I hope my kids can look at this and, and know that they can do anything. And by that, I mean, if they want to be a stay-at-home mom, they can do that. If they want to be a school teacher, they can do that. If they want to, you know, be a coach, they, like, I don't, it doesn't have to be a sexy, glamorous life, you know. It has to be when they love. Yes, authentic <laughs> to them and what they want, what they want to do, you know, I think. I think we'll see later on what the effects, the good and the bad of growing up in the music business, what those are on our kids, you know? You know, I mean, I think in some ways it could be inspiring to like grow up and see your parents doing something that they love. Um, 
and having success doing it. On the other hand, it could be daunting of like, maybe, you know, maybe one of our kids doesn't know what they want to do, which is a very, very common thing. And that could, that could be something that they'll have to work through, you know? And they're like, well, mom and dad, they always knew what they wanted to do, you know? And but so, you didn't know what you wanted to but do. But I didn't know. I, I mean, just you kept... You were going to be a manager, which you may be. Yeah, who knows? One day. I'm who not going to be shocked when all of a sudden you're like opening a huge management firm. <laughs> like, yeah, of course you did. I think at the moment I'm just managing me. <laughs> I think I've like, I'm still, I, I think I'm a manager. I'm just managing myself. So you are managing, yeah. Yeah. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Kids growing up in the music industry, because Rodney has older kids, and mm -hmm. one of his, his son just wrote, you just said Up Down, mm -hmm. a number one song. Mm -hmm. And then his daughter is this incredible artist who is so talented. So it feels like it could be, a, I mean, it depends on the kid, but mm -hmm. it could be a great way to grow up because you get this outlet of having freedom to be creative from a from the start. I do think you have to, it sounds cheesy because it rhymes, but you do have to see it to think that you can be it. Yeah. And um, when I think back on how I got here, I mean, there were things, my mom created moments for me throughout my childhood. She read my passion, which was country music, and she figured out ways to give me moments that inspired me along the way. And I don't even know if she knew she was doing that, but she did it well. Did any stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, my mom would, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, and my mom was saving up for six months for us to go to a country music festival and like pay the extra to be in the fan club so we could get the autograph or the meet and greet and Ugh. and like those moments to me were like the greatest things that 
she saw your she saw your passion yeah and she wanted to give you the yeah yeah she did so now i'm trying to pay that forward and look at my daughter who has very different passions than i do what are her passions um she's very visual okay and very i I mean i she loves art she loves an aesthetic of something like she i hate having to pick out clothes i want to wear a white t-shirt and jeans for the rest (laughs) of my life um and she she loves choosing items to go like fashion or makeup or which is very typical of kids that age but even just art she just she just has an opinion about it and i i always i read into that because i think the things that you can walk in a room and own you almost have a little bit of an ego about Mm -hmm. or an opinion about i think those are the things you have to your opinion is tied to your ego i think and so you have to pay attention to that because looking back i always had an opinion about when i would listen to a record i would be like this is the song no that's not good this is this one you know and i didn't realize what i was doing but I had an opinion, so I had in my ego was somehow... Part of your calling. I felt attached to that, and I felt good at it, whether Mm -hmm. I knew that that's what was happening or not, and I I see that... That's a great way of putting it. If you have an opinion, you're passionate about it. Yeah, I think so. Um, And now just having an opinion is literally just being a spectator, like getting in there and doing it and trying to create that and getting in the arenas, you know, they say. um, That's a completely different story, you know? Um, and hopefully I'll encourage my daughter to get in the game mm-hmm. on whatever that is. Like, okay, you love what this looks like? Go make it, mm-hmm. you know, go mm-hmm. do it and, and figure out how to, you know, and brave those tough years where you're not very good at it, but you know where the bar is. And you know you can get there. And you know you can get there, but it's really uncomfortable because you're not that good yet, Yeah, you know, but yeah. you might, you might be. Yeah. If you keep going. So, yeah, no, she's... She's a helper. Like she's every bit nurt- as nurturing as I'm not. Um, and yeah. And so my mom used to say growing up, she always used to, which is so cool and empowering. She used to say to me, I want to be like you when I grow up. Oh. And I don't know if you're into the Enneagram yes, at all, I'm but, a four. What are you? but I'm an eight. Okay. And an eight, an eight moves toward a two. I'm a challenger and I, move toward a two, which is a helper in health. And if you ask my daughter her favorite thing about herself, she would say that I help people. And so I think I've, I've now started saying that to her. I'm like, I want to be like you when I grow up because truly me taking on more qualities like her is, is me becoming healthier. And so it's cool to see that like kind of pass itself down. And I do, I'm like, I want to be more like Charlie. I want to like be more in tune with the people around me and what they need. And, you know. Okay, well, I want to say you are cuz like you and your girlfriends, like you have Ugh. a fierce girl tribe. And you I feel like something that's so special about you is you take the time to see people. Like you just recently went on this Instagram post where you did a picture, you went on a beach trip with your girlfriends and you did a picture, individual picture of each one of the girls and then you this makes me cry. Mm. You wrote what you loved about them. Mm. Why does this make me cry? <laughs> I, well, I like, wrote what I do, learned from them. But you do help people and you do see people and that is a huge part of who you are and you take the time to say it. I I think I see God in people. I mean, some people like, see God in nature, to, but I see it in people. So like when I lock in with someone. to say that to someone, not no. just to keep it in and just to think it, but to like express it and give someone a moment. Oh, well, 
I don't know that it just feels like second nature to me to be that way. It's the way that I process and create and communicate. Why do you love your friends so much? Why are they so valuable to you? Mm. Gosh, that's a hard, that's such a, there's so many different ways to answer that. But you're fierce about it. Yeah, I think I've always been very loyal. Like I've always been, like I don't end a relationship. Like I don't, I don't know if someone will probably come out of the woodwork and like comment on this and be like, what? Her, you know, we haven't talked since she was 14, but like, I'm still <laughs> friends with people I went to kindergarten with. Um, so I think just community and growing up in a small town and being known and being, I think we give what we want to get. And so I probably deep down like want to be known and seen on a very detailed level. And so I, without knowing it, give that and try to, see that in other people you know Mm -hmm. um but I will say when I became a mother I really because I work really well with men I'm not like one of the guys by any means but I work really well with guys I have three brothers I have like seven uncles um I grew up in a a sports town you know and played Mm -hmm. sports and so I'm not extremely feminine in a lot of ways but when I became a mother my femininity, like all my feminine qualities definitely came out in me more. And I realized that there were certain things that like Rodney wasn't going to fill that bucket for me Mm -hmm. because he's not, I needed more feminine input Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were just things that, especially in from, in terms of motherhood, like looking at someone and going, we don't have to say anything. I just know, you know, and that's, I, I was talking, I, it took me a minute cause in, you know, I would try to process out loud what I was feeling as a new mom to Rodney and I was just talking till I was blue in the face and he was going, he was looking at me and he was doing everything he could, but <laughs> to understand like, you know, what it's like to have stitches down there, whatever, <laughs> like why it's so hard to like nurse when the emotional pull of like trying to go back to work, things like that. And he was doing the best that he could, but they just don't, they just don't understand it. No. And, and I think I had this moment of maybe that's not his to understand. I love that. And I don't need to put that on him. And so while he is my best friend and partner, like he's just one person. Mm -hmm. And so I think I really learned that I need, um, I need my friends and, and it honestly, like it helps, it helps my whole house run better ultimately because we are all learning from each other. We all do things differently. Our values are different. Um, and I try to just take little nuggets from all of them of the best parts of them and like inhale them and then bring them home and breathe them out into my house because those are not things that I would have naturally thought to do or thought to say to my kids or, you know, I'm just learning from my friends all the time. I think it's so beautiful. I really do. I think it's so amazing because I agree with you. I think having a great spouse and partner is the best, but I want to talk in detail about some stuff that Michael doesn't want to talk about. Like Mm -hmm. I want to get down to like nitty gritties. I want to talk about stuff for hours. I want to like rehash it. I want to like talk about my insecurities surrounding it. I want to talk about like all the things. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like guys just don't always process that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some do. I mean, it's hard to put all men in a box. Like it's impossible. Like some men are more communicative than their wives, you know, but in our, in our specific house, I need to go 
like like my energy level i just have way too much i need way too much input output every day Mm -hmm. like that's where i get my energy from and that's just too much for one person yeah. <laughs> to take any one person. There's not a person on the planet. It's not Rodney's fault. It's just like there's you not one. disperse it. There's not one person in the whole wide world that could do all of that for me. And um, so I just I, I cherish my friends. And I think we're really lucky in Nashville because my best friend lives in L.A. And she comes here and she flies back deliberately for my Christmas party because she goes, I've never been in a room with 70 women and no one has any drama with each other there it's there's such a good women there's such a sense of relational health here that i don't think we fully appreciate that we have in nashville um i agree with you like i always feel that the women in nashville are so amazing i i wouldn't i i I can't believe there's so many great women who are mm -hmm. so incredible and there's no bad will no no, it truly is a sense of community, and I'm sure the support. It show, I'm sure it goes. It's rooted from generations past. That, especially from the music business perspective of it, that laid a groundwork for us to know how to treat each other and how to be and how to support. And you know, it's like one big small town, honestly. Yeah. So I love it. What a success to you. Uh, what a success. Um. Well. I think honoring myself is a big success in being the most authentic version of me that I can be. And I think that that's, I think that's the gift that I have to give the people around me. Ultimately, like my kids, I'm always joking. I'm like me taking care of me is going to save them therapy. Like when we all go to therapy, all we talk about is our parents anyway. So it's like, maybe, (laughs) maybe why don't we like take a note from that and, and just take more responsibility for our own, our own selves so that they don't, we don't pass that on to them. And we're going to, I'm going to, I am already, but the more that I can just make myself, me as whole as possible, that feels like a success because then I, then for me to be supportive of a friend or to notice something, to be more connected with my kids, it all just like happens naturally when I'm operating out of a place of wholeness and health mm-hmm. um, I don't have to deliberately try to connect with my kids because I'm just more sound and it just happens on its own so true okay I would talk to you forever but it's already like an hour and ten minutes so <laughs> I'm gonna wrap up I, I wrap up every podcast with the same question and obviously you've touched on a lot of really inspiring things but I like to leave with leave your light so mm. something that you just want people to know Mm. inspiring or maybe something you wish Mm. you would have known or something that you've learned (sighs) that I this is this isn't something that this is just something I would want people to know about me is that I do not have my shit all together (laughs) (laughs) so it's okay not to oh my gosh I so do not and uh I'm okay with that I think that's for whatever that for whatever that means that's like if I got to say one thing, I'd be like, I don't have it together, people. Um, yeah. What's the other side of that? Not having it together means that it's okay to. That my happiness doesn't revolve around that. Mm-hmm. Or my sense of worth doesn't revolve around having to have it all together. Yeah. Still figuring that out, but I believe that. I love that. 
You're amazing. Oh, you are the too. unicorn. You, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not. I know you don't know it, but you are. And I'm Aww. really appreciative that you came on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing. Hey, okay. I love what you're awesome. doing. And Changing the world, girl. Best of luck. Hey, you're the best. Okay, <laughs> bye. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.